This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Melbourne Fringe is in full swing. It's wrapping up this weekend and it's wrapping up with many different projects, as Bernard Callio was saying not long ago. Uh, the Kids Fringe is on at the moment at North Melbourne Town Hall, so all manner of school uh, holiday activities. But something else that's happening as part of Fringe, Art Centre Melbourne have get, are getting in on the Fringe game and are presenting a work called Play for Australia, which features uh, six actors, two directors, 12 diverse writers and a dramaturg exploring a series of micro-dramas, micro-plays, exploring national identity. Joining us in the studio to tell us more, Patricia Cornelius and Candy Bowers. Welcome to you both. Hi, Richard. Hello. Um, now, I'm just up in your microphone there a little bit, Candy. So, actually, can you speak directly into Hello. that? Hello. Is it- it's not working. Maybe it could be Candy's chair. Or we could move around okay, to that microphone. Sure. We're moving around. <laughs> Uh, it's all chaos here. In the <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yep. Oh, good. great. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Great. Okay. So let's just pretend that never happened. Hello. Okay. Welcome. Hello. Here we are on the right mics. Yes. <laughs> so, Patricia, you're well known as a, as a playwright. You're an established Australian playwright. Candy, you're better known as a performer rather what? than as, as a playwright. <laughs> How I've th- written everything I've performed. What do you mean, Richard? <laughs> I find that interesting, though. Look, we, we go into this a little bit, even with the Hot Brown Honey show that I've made with my sister and Lisa Falafi. Um, I wrote the original script, and then Lisa and Busty have gone on to write the next script. Without writing writer or director or designer on it, it's like... Um, this strange thing, because we're so unused to maybe women of colour being writers and directors, that people often ask, who wrote it? And we've, <laughs> and we've always come from that indie, like, clash it up, smash it up scene, but I've actually written probably about 12 plays, um, half of them with Sister She. Uh, I'm not writing one now in the form of hip-hop and spoken word theatre, uh, but as I often take task with places like Playwriting Australia, my work uh, often doesn't fit into the genre, like say if I'm going trying to get some money to say, hey, help me put this on, there's all these like different reasons that a play is a play or it's not a play. And I make lyrical theatre, so they often go, isn't it musical theatre? I'm like, certainly not. (laughs) But But yeah, yeah, it's really, it's so interesting because the whole thing about being innovative Mm. and there's this creatively new and fresh and this whole idea. And then when it comes to to funding bodies or to (laughs) conceptions, actually, no, you're... You're too fresh. Nobody wrote that. She doesn't write. She makes it up on the spot. You know, like it's not recognising the craft, not recognising the structure, but it exists and the innovation is that it's not your usual mm. um, theatre experience. It's it's something else and fresh air. Yeah, right? yeah. But that must be hard for the funding bodies because they are so rigid mm. about what you're um, expected to, how to approach it. Yeah. Now, in terms of rigid and innovative and so forth, words that get thrown around a lot, a project like uh, Play for Australia, an opportunity to present a range of playwrights, each with their own, sh- what, short 600-word playlet, Tiny essentially. Yeah, tiny yeah. place. Is it a challenge to, to write <laughs> something concise in so few words? It, it's, it was fun. I kind of like it. I, the, I enjoyed it. But it wasn't... I, I had 1,200 words and tried to sneak them in and hope that they wouldn't count, but... 
it came back to me. But <laughs> <laughs> then you go like taking all the stage directions, <laughs> counting them. But it, but it's actually quite. I was quite pleased at what what I could get rid of. Yeah. You, know, you sort of think, oh no, I can't let, lose that, and then you go, I can actually lose all of that, and it becomes concise and um, and kind of more daring in a way. It. You, you lose some things that you maybe would put back in, in a bigger play, but that's not the point, really. I, I thought it was terrific. Did I you did like too. That? Yeah. yeah, I mean, because my heart—I I believe everything is poetry, but um, that's what poetry is—the distilling of yeah. those, you know, bigger ideas, taking yeah. something complex and yeah, kind of whittling down and right whittling down. down. Yeah, until yeah. you've got the 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 perfect expression in the, the least amount of words. I think one of the big challenges too is like how do I make this a play, not a scene or a moment? It has to be a play. And um, I don't know, we'll see. You'll make me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> she wrote a scene. Mm, but no, I, wrote, I, no, I know what you mean. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like to actually feel that you can take however many characters, one to six on a journey, um, and then... Um, Feel like there's it's it's satisfying or unsatisfying that sense of like this is a play. I yeah. love that. Yeah, yeah. And what about the challenge of writing something that speaks to contemporary Australia and that, that perhaps interrogates what it means to be Australian? Because I love that too. Uh, I mean, we're so I probably that's what we do all the time. Mm. Anyway, we're looking to say something about this shit of a country we live in or this glorious country, whatever your perspective. But you kind of. Um, to be able to do that with a whole lot of people and know Ooh. that those voices are going to be really different and kind of challenging to how you're going to come at it, I think it was a terrific opportunity, really. And, and that's fun as well. How, what, how do you, in 600 words, talk about who we are and what we are? And, you know, certain people like me will come at it negatively. <laughs> Now, the people I heard, I, I actually assumed everybody would, but I heard some people speak about this. Like, oh, You've right. Yeah. <laughs> I That's forgot great. that you could do that. I had a really interesting process where I was like, because I speak, I'm a social activist as well, so I speak a lot about the Australian identity and how it intersects with the theatre and how the theatre impacts on our social fabric and why that kind of exclusion and, and erasure of particularly women of colour on our stages is really impacting on my community and the young people coming up, etc. Um, so I got it and I had just done a workshop at the West Riders Fest with Mahogany Brown, which was amazing, and I just kind of threw out all of the ideas I had been playing with and came back to something that rolls around for me a lot, which was writing a, a play about this... Um, car accident actually sister she had going between the 10 hour stretch between Cairns and Cape York and Mo said to us um, choose a scar on your body get with a partner tell them the story of the scar and then you know vice versa and they have to take notes and now whether your partner was great at taking notes or not you have to just use the words that they've written on the page to create a poem mm -hmm. so then I went okay I'm going to use that provocation uh, for my play because for me and it's something Eugenia Flynn writes about a lot in Peril as well, who she's, you know, Eugenia's Muslim, she's Chinese Aboriginal. Um, and we look quite similar, actually. But um, <laughs> she talks about when other bodies are in that Australian landscape. So often we hear, like, Australian story, Australian film. We know there might be a red dog and a friendly Aboriginal guy, you know. 
But what happens if you're of multiple identities? What happens if you're Muslim? What happens if you're African diaspora or Polish or whatever and you're in that landscape, which is true of our lives? So for me, the setting was really about the part about Australian identity, but also... um, as, you know, poetic licence and takes you. I also have never seen a queer relationship between two women of colour on an Australian stage. So for me, um, that's very true of my life and, and my reality. So I also wanted to go, okay, a part of my identity is this. You know, similar to kind of Maya Newell who made Gaby Baby, she said, I've never seen my family represented. I want to see that. So they became my characters. And um, I think even for the actors, it was a slight shock as they were reading. They're like, oh, we, we made love last night, you know. And I thought that was really exciting too, to be working with two very varied um, ages and, and diverse cultural backgrounds, these two actors, and for them to go, I've never been handed a script like this before. I've never gotten to play this before as the leads in, in, in a play. And that, for me, is exactly what this project is about. And I wish <laughs> the Australian theatre scene was about, too. It's certainly something that excited me when I heard about the concept, which uh, I wanted to acknowledge the fact that uh, creator-director Jim Lawson has kind of been to Ireland, seen an idea similar to this, and, and kind of riffed off it to, to bring it over here and create these or de- help develop these works. The notion of what we see as the Australian story on stage is such a limited facet of the real Australia that we live in, breathe in and, and walk through every day. Uh, Patricia, for you as a playwright with several decades of experience, how has it been liberating to try to come into this and say, be a, and be given permission to write about a different Australia? No, I think because I had the, my experience of my kind of apprenticeship with Melbourne Workers Theatre and Melbourne Workers Theatre was kind of trying to push the boundaries of who we are and who we are when we're on in performance, usually white, usually middle class, usually about kind of domestic issues and the, the concerns never reach much further. And I think the, the, the sad thing about it was that there were, I think there were great breakthroughs when the company was around and that we've gone so backward. Mm. And so you go, wow, how many plays can I go and see and pretend that this is representative of my country and, mm. and the community I live in? And, and it, it feels so tired and feels really... Like we're really going into some terrible vortex. Somebody recently said too, just with having had straight white men and then um, disgraced on, you know, what, whatever you felt about those shows, what's interesting is pushing a really politica- political American narrative yeah. onto Australian bodies and voices. It's like, imagine pitching, and I'm sure P- Patricia has, like fiercely political works about Australia. Uh, I've mainstream don't want it. Um, and um, and I find that really interesting too. So we're kind of happy to talk about race or or um, religion or or as you long know, as it, it's a healthy from, remove at yeah, arm's length. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, because the concept being, which I've heard a lot, having been in the precinct a lot this this year, actually Australians aren't going to the theatre or the people that the people that go to the theatre aren't going to be challenged. And what I understand from Jim from the from the Tiny Plays Festival, they went back to that kind of early 1900 concept of the playwright and the poet actually being the visionaries, actually being like the plays being an, a call to arms to the nation to say, this is who we are, this is what we're doing, 
how do we feel about that? What are the trends going on? You know, um, in our in our society right now, we got to put them on stage. We got to wrestle with ourselves, um, which is something that I saw when I was in South Africa last year. Their their theatre is really doing that too. And I come back to Australia and I think, what the what? Like, what's happening here? You know. It's a, it is really extraordinary how few Australian plays are programmed in mainstream companies. You mm. sort of think, and also the contradiction in it, because apparently the audiences love them. And so they do really well. And so the, you think, well, what, what's the reasoning behind you not nurturing them and having them come on? And because there's an audience out there. But the sort of worrisomeness, everybody has, a, they're mm. bothered by, you know, you're talking out too much about race and you're talking too yeah. much about uh, sex and or gender yeah. and, and you're getting real anxious. So we're, we're such a fucking That's anxious okay. um, society and a worrisome in terms of the, the, the gatekeepers for the theatre. Like, will yeah. the subscription audience like it? Yeah. And actually, I don't believe it. Mm. I actually think they love it. Mm. And they quite like to be titillated and they mm. like to be at risk. It's not like they're going to lose anything. You know, mm. they got, they're still going to go <laughs> That's home right. We're it. in Australia. Yeah. They're not going to lose anything at but, all. But uh, they quite like to have a look at the other side. Yeah. Which is know, really what side. the other side of playwriting in Australia is in some ways what Play for Australia is doing as a concept. It's bringing in uh, a, such a diverse group of writers uh, cross-cultural, cross-generational and telling a range of, of really quite contemporary stories as well yeah. because these aren't plays that have been in development for three years or four years as mm. is often the case on the main stages or, yeah. or or even a year or two in the independent scene. These are short, sharp, fresh works. Patricia, who are some of the other writers mm. who are involved in, in the process? Well, it's just a fantastic sight to see yeah. Kamara and um, Bell Warwick's, who's you had lots of works on yeah. a, a long while ago, and is a be- beautiful playwright, and um, has not been nurtured enough. No. So, um, and there's uh, you know Mesa Abuzid, and who worked with um, uh, Urban Projects, and ha- the work that she's done, a lot of um, sort of stand up yeah. kind of poetic slam poetry yeah. stuff. Um, and you know, there's a there's a, a few that I don't, I've never seen their That's work. That's what's exciting. So it's yeah. really terrific. Yeah, we we haven't actually been privy to each other's work, so tonight, tonight it's going to be a yeah. bit of a kind of oh my. And God. It's, it's fun for me because I know Tanya Canis from a social. Um, activist background. She's a, a, from Rise for Refugees. She writes on post-colonialist theory. And so I know her in that sense. And I've never seen a play of hers, though. Uh, and she's been coming to so much theatre and she lives in this space and she's constantly, you know, trying to disrupt the narrative. So for me also, I think, oh, how funny. Look, intergenerational, intersectional, uh, mixed ability. Jim seemed to do this so easily. And all the theatre companies are constantly talking about how very difficult it is. And I think, well, maybe you're not fit for your role because it doesn't seem to be so hard to, for me at all, giving people a shot and putting stuff on. And the amount of times I've heard extraordinary pictures and seen things in development that don't get to the main stage uh, and, you know, even from a Malthouse perspective or MTC saying, well, it's just not for us. I'm like, who is us? I feel very Orwellian about it. And um, and, and this, is the, this is the important stuff. I sat in this amazing meeting 
meeting at the um, Ethnic Communities Council where they told us directly how our work on stage and on screen affects the social fabric and our concept of security. So, for example, there's a paper that came out about in one Victorian suburb, they, they can't be specific, they have to keep it open, but um, there was incredible incidents of Muslim women, Muslim mothers, being mowed down on zebra crossings. So people hitting women in hijab and they said, let's talk about how what we see on our screens directly impacted on this phenomena that occurred. And um, we did a similar, we're creating a similar paper around how theatre and film and that um, animosity, exclusion, whitewashing creates actually unsafe environments for all of us. Australia and how divisive it is and how at times, you know, traumatic it is. And, and it's funny because, um, you know, um, yesterday on Radio National, John Cathcart kind of pushed me on the idea that, um, there's a complete erasure of, of Michael, sorry, Michael, of, um, of women of colour on the stage. And he said, but you've been on stage twice. And I'm like, yes, but by being in the precinct, I'm so much more aware of the lack <laughs> of yeah. voices and bodies. It's actually, it's almost like stepped in my way. Like you kind of, in the indie scene, you can almost live in a bubble at times and think, oh, we're doing it, what? And then you have to interact again and you realise, well, we need to topple this structure. This structure um, is actually affecting our lives and the lives of the people that live in Australia. So I feel like this show begins a spark of excitement of growth, you know, a bit of green coming through the kind of dank garbage of, of what we kind of live in. Even on a creative level, it's so dumb because I I sort of hark back to Melbourne Workers Theatre days when Mm. you sort of go, my God, we never hear these stories and these stories are just wild and wonderful and full of contradiction and and they represent us in a really, in a way that we're not used to. So you actually feed into your theatrical experience a whole lot of new narratives that are are really lively, are really interesting interesting to those who were cut off from them and kind of open up invitations uh, to con- know more. And, yeah, and as a playwright, as playwrights, mm. we kind of go, wow, there's so much to tell here and how I'm going to do it and mm. who's going to do it. And see, it's sort of so limited, the kind of choices that are being made by the mainstream. Play for Australia is an opportunity to see uh, 12 writers, including the two I'm talking to, uh, really kind of not retelling the Australian narrative, but breaking the mould of the Australian narrative that we see on stage and recasting the stories that we see. Uh, I think it's a really intriguing and exciting opportunity. So it's happening from uh, today, uh, so the 29th and the 30th of September and the 1st of October at 7pm and then on Sunday the 2nd of October at 4pm. All shows will be Auslan interpreted, Mm. which I think is really significant. Uh, And I believe after each uh, performance of the the, the 12 Playlets. There will also then be discussions with playwrights afterwards as well, so that the audience can see the work and then continue to interrogate it uh, with the makers of the work, with the directors and the, the cast as well. I think it's a really exciting initiative. Play for Australia on at Art Centre Melbourne in the Playhouse rehearsal room uh, today, Friday, Saturday at seven pm. 
4pm on Sunday. More info at artscentermelbourne.com.au or melbournefringe.com.au. I could continue talking with <laughs> Patricia Cornelius and Candy Bowers for about the next two hours of the show. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure having the, the two of you on, so thanks for coming in. Thanks, Richard. Thanks. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Even though Melbourne Fringe hasn't finished, as I said uh, earlier in the show, the Melbourne Festival is poised, waiting in the wings to leap onto centre stage and keep us entertained and challenged and provoked uh, for the next few weeks. And one of the Melbourne Festival shows I'm very much looking forward to seeing is The Dark Chorus, the latest work, uh, a world premiere from Lucy Guerin, Inc. And choreographer Lucy Guerin joins us in the studio now. Lucy, good morning. Good morning, Richard. So the last time you were in, you were uh, with your director's hat on talking about a, a, a kind of theatre work that you uh, were, were helping sculpt and construct. What's more challenging, to sculpt theatre and words or to sculpt bodies in space? Oh, well, I'd have to say, for me, it has to be theatre because it's just not my my first um, medium, my first art form, and I've, I've been dancing and choreographing for... 20, over 20 years so uh, as that was my first directing gig it was yeah it was really challenging but it was really really interesting too and interesting where um you know you know how how I look at um a play with that with that choreographic background so then coming back into the, the the dance studio to work on the dark chorus must have been a relief in some ways to be back in familiar territory. But nonetheless, this is, as I said, a world premiere work. So you can't kind of rest and relax because you're, you're creating something very, very new, which I imagine is still being shaped right up until opening night, essentially. Yes, that's right. We're working very hard at the moment, um, still trying to solve a few little problems with the work. But it's you know it it's interesting because it never seems to get any easier. I think after all this time, you know, you would you would be able to have more confidence that it's going to going to work. But it's yeah, it's always it's always a real challenge. So this new work, Dark Chorus, the the very name uh, suggests in some ways a, a harkening back to Greek theatre and the the notion of the Greek chorus commenting on the drama on stage. Uh, what was the the starting point for the work for you? I think the starting point was um, really these ideas of kind of binary concepts like dark and light and 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 past and present. I had this very strong visual picture of a stage design that was um, just a bright light in the centre that sort of expanded and contracted and this surrounded by a very dark shadowy. Uh, terrain and that that was inhabited by this kind of lurking, critical, um, very kind of traditional kind of um, chorus that are kind of mu- always muttering. And I think it sort of comes from this this sense that um, the, these sort of external voices that you I don't mean like mad voices, but just just I guess sort of more societal pressures and the and the sorts of voices that are sort of popping up in the world today that are really quite um, extreme and and dangerous and and into the centre of this um, circle, um, individuals kind of divest themselves of 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 their black costumes and 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 kind of uh, try to differentiate from from that 
that that mass of darkness. The notion of, I guess, uh, exploring polarities and the point that, that lies between and uh, referencing extremism of any kind, uh, which uh, in Australia seems to be, some of our most extreme voices seem to be in Parliament at the moment. Mm. Uh, it's, it's clearly then, a, it's a very topical work, but I imagine it's also bringing in ideas that you've wanted to explore for quite some time, because I'm, I'm well aware that a lot of artists, when an, an idea is finally embodied, whether and whether it's brought to the stage or whether it's placed in a painting, it can be incorporating references and ideas that have been with you for five, six more years and it's only now that they finally find time to, to crystallise and to breathe. Yeah, that's very true and when I, when I look back on most of my works, I think I, I, I generally try to set up this kind of dialogue between extremes and, and to see what that engenders. It's almost... I almost feel like this work is, is a kind of a... A machine or an organism that's that's made up of these extremes and in a way it's kind of it's really led me rather than me directing it in a sense like it's really ended up in this quite unusual place that uh, it's very dramatic and it's I, I guess which makes sense um working with with these kinds of extremes but um they're they're not only um uh kind of conceptual extremes they're also just in the way that I've developed the material um it's very opposing rhythms and um and we you know we've made a lot of the material from these ideas of expanding and contracting and and um high and low and so it's it's kind of very erratic and um uh and uh, unpredictable Now, one of the reasons I began by talking about theatre is because I'm intrigued that on this work... Uh, dark chorus, Lucy. You've you've brought in Adina Jacobs, who's a, a, a theatre maker, director, dramaturg, and her role on this production is as dramaturg. So to focus on what aspects of narrative, aspects of story, and and ways to heighten them, perhaps. Yes. Well, uh, she's been fantastic because. Um, once I started working on this piece, I realised that there's all these very um, narrative kind of elements emerging, and I'm always very careful with the use of narrative in dance because I, I, I'm not a big fan of it. I, I generally prefer to tell a story through, well, or to to abstract uh, transfer a story. the ideas, yeah, through structure and through kind of less kind of language based. Um, Forms so, and Adina was um, is, was a great person to work with because I think she does devise her own works um, as well. So she's not always working from a script, um, and but at the same time she was really helpful in sort of teasing out some of the thematics of the work and and just being an outside eye and just being able to say what what she saw when she watched it because you know there is a danger when you're making work that you can just get so far inside it and you've gone on this whole journey with it and it's not necessarily um clear to to a person who's watching it for the first time and one of the things also about adina's work is that she's got a a beautiful sense of imagery she uh uh, creates such rich visual theater as well as Mm -hmm. focusing on on the performance and text elements and so forth so you know having that eye to to bring to to dance which is such a visual art form in terms of the the dynamic movement on stage or the decision not to move at certain points to use floor work to uh, have one of your performers dead and dragged around by the others for example yes. it, it, she seems a, a really good fit for the piece she was she was really great and um 
I'm quite excited about this piece um, visually, actually, because often, you know, I get very attached to the way it looks in the studio and I'm very close to the dancers and it's a very sort of visceral experience. Um, but, but this is a work that I just can't wait to put it into the cavernous space of the meat market and just um, just see how, how it's going to look. So I think it's going to be quite visually stunning. Now, you used the phrase going on a journey uh, a moment ago, and it's been quite a, a year of journeying for you. You've been over in the UK making work. Uh, you were contributing to a, a stage production of Macbeth, yes. I believe, and then making dance work over there as well. Plus, you've uh, also uh, received a, uh, an Australia Council Award for dance and a, 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 um, uh, an Australian Dance Award as well for motion picture, I believe. You're, That's right. Yeah, so it's been a very busy year for you. Yes, when you say it like that it really has been <laughs> yes so with all that going on how difficult is it to actually focus on the work that you're making here in melbourne it's um i think it's a lot but it's, it's interesting i think you sort of develop a kind of fitness for it like you you kind of get a choreographic fitness where you can where you can go in and, and you're, you're very used to sort of um, just throwing your ideas out there, and sometimes when you when you when you've had a break or you have too much time off, it it, it becomes less familiar and a little bit more frightening. So, so while I am I am feeling a little tired, and you know, like I have ha- had a lot of output this year, I, I also feel kind of um, match fit. Match fit, yes. Yeah. Now, would, does it help also when making a new work like the Dark Chorus that you've got? Uh, collaborators you've worked with before, so some of the dancers, for example, I know Benjamin Hancock, uh, Stephanie Lake, for example, who've you've uh, worked with numerous times. How valuable is it to have uh, dancers with whom you already have a, an established relationship, a shorthand, so to speak, creatively? Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. And um, Stephanie Lake, I've worked with for over twenty years. I think we we worked out the other day, and then we have our newest. Um, dancer Tyrone Robinson who's from Perth and and this is his first project and I really enjoy that kind of having having new uh, cast members but also these people that have an understanding and a kind of shorthand of the work and can kind of interpret um, you know sometimes if I if I can't quite articulate it they, they'll just do something and I'll, I'll I'll say yes that's it so you kind of can bypass that you know, verbal kind of explanation. How do you find a new dancer like Tyrone? How do you cast a net? Do you are you holding auditions? Are you going over to Whopper to look at graduates, for example, or what's the process? Uh, well, with Tyrone, we had an audition. We had an audition for men, and we chose him. The Dark Chorus is the latest work from Lucy Guerin Inc. It's having its world premiere as part of this year's Melbourne Festival, uh, kicking off on the opening night of the festival, the 6th of October, and running through until Wednesday, the 12th of October, at the Meat Market in North Melbourne. Um, is it the Meat Market or Arts House? Meat Market. Yeah, good. I did have the, the right details. Right. I just suddenly blanked out going, have I just made a terrible mistake? Uh, so, yeah, the Meat Market in North Melbourne. Uh, performances, 6.30pm on Thursday. Friday, 9.30pm, Saturday and Wednesday, 6.30pm, and also a 9.30 performance on the Saturdays and Wednesdays. It runs for one hour, uh, no interval. There's no shows on the Monday as well. Everybody needs a bit of a break. Uh, and tickets are $39, 29 concession, and students, 30 bucks. So more information at www.festivalmelbourne, uh, or you can book at Arts House at 93223713. And Lucy, just before I let you go, any tips on uh, dance performances at Melbourne Fringe that you've seen that people 
we should try and catch in the last day or two of the festival? Um, well, uh, I believe uh, I saw Chad McLaughlin's little piece the other day, which I thought was fantastic. I don't know if it's still on, though. That's the trouble. They all run for such a short amount of time. I think... Um, um, Emily Robinson's got something at Northcote Town Hall, which proves to be interesting. So get along to see that. There's so much to see in Melbourne. It, it, it really does seem like every week there's something new and something different happening. So uh, Melbourne Fringe finishing this Sunday and then Melbourne Festival kicking off next week on the 6th of October, which is the same night that Lucy Guerin Inc.'s The Dark Chorus is opening at the meat market in North Melbourne. As I said, if you want to book, www.festival.melbourne or call Arts House on 93223713. Lucy, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Richard. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Uh, my final Fringe Artists for the Year. Oh, I feel quite sad that it's all winding up now. Um, uh, have just joined me in the studio to talk about a show called Tangled Adulthood at the Butterfly Club. Kyle Davey and Stephanie Ostreicher, welcome to Triple R. And I think I just mangled your last name, Stephanie. No, I'm you sorry. said it fine. It was wonderful. Good. Oh, <laughs> oh you said the sweetest things. Uh, so, Tangled Adulthood, the, this notion of... It intrigues me. There's a phrase that I heard uh, a couple of years ago and it actually became a film in the UK called... Uh, kidult or kidulthood, the notion of adults who are kind of suspended adolescence or permanent adolescence. Is that one of the things you're trying to explore in the show? That's interesting. I haven't actually heard of that, but I think it's definitely that kind of notion that we call ourselves adults, but we're kind of in this state of, I don't know what it is. You know, it's just a, a kind of an abstract concept that we're dealing with. And, um, yeah, we are always children to an extent. I think that stays with us and we kind of respond to it still as adults. Kyle, when do you know when you're an adult? Uh, well, this is interesting because we post the question to a lot of our friends and um, the responses we got back were very enlightening and it really did help dictate the show as well um there's you know there's a whole list of things that we wrote down like that people gave us responsibilities and things like that there are a lot of there are a lot of heavy things negative things and um and we've tried to make light of a lot of these things and to to try and and still keep that inner child yeah. um, like, within all of these within all of these concepts, um, we lose it at some point in our lives. Um, so we're really just trying to bring that positive um, play and fun that existed at some point into these into these concepts that we have within as an adult. Work and you know starting a family and relationships. So these are all like the frameworks and structures that we have and then how we function within them is what's interesting. But um, so we were kind of that's I guess as an adult we say this is what we do, you know, we we function in life. Um, but how? Yeah. Yeah. The the idea of then taking some of these ideas and exploring them in dance and physical theatre. Stephanie, you're a physical theatre kind of right. maker. Uh, Kyle, you're a dancer. So yeah. fusing that together, and also uh, you're working with musician Josh Mitchell yeah. on the show as well. So taking these kind of quite heavy themes in some ways. I mean, mm -hmm. some people might say that you perhaps only really become an adult when you're a parent. Uh, but for people like myself who are almost 50, no kids, it's kind of like, but no, no, that's a, there's a different way of being a, an adult. Some others might say it's when uh, one of your parents dies that you truly become an adult. Yep. Yeah. Uh, or 
or when you get a mortgage or when you get your first real job as opposed to working part-time in a cafe. But for somebody who works full-time in a cafe all their lives, where, where do these borders kind of stop and end and how do you maintain that childlike hope and curiosity that is perhaps one of the other things that's driving this show? I think what we've discovered through the play of creating this is that it's changeable as well. Uh, like you can, uh, you know, fall down into, I haven't achieved something. I don't look the part. It's not working, but uh, relationships are really important as well. And I think that came through strongly to try and make you feel like, how do I help another person or accept help? And that's also a big part of working out, you know, how to be, how to be an adult or, you know, do these things. Yeah. Um, and, and the feedback that we've got from friends from the show as well is it's it's a different experience for everyone there is no there is no definite answer and there's no mm. definite structure to determine this i have achieved it i'm an adult now i have i have you know ticked that off um yeah you see it on, on facebook adulting doing it right and yeah and like tell me the secret it's I happened yeah. right now today <laughs> it's official and yeah. so using then taking these ideas how are you expressing them and staging them on stage through dance through physicality yeah. as well because uh, are you using a script for example or are you just trying to literally embody some of these ideas well it's it's pretty much um there's no text there's there's a tiny bit within it but um it's all through movement physicality and the butterfly club if you're familiar with it um is it's a small space it's i think it's two by 4.5 meters a stage so we've given ourselves i guess this restriction of that we can't move that much as well so it's made it Although we're doing uh, movement, it's quite subtle as well. We're able to really personalise it through our bodies and create these characters. Um, and what I, as being very passionate about physical theatre, I think sometimes no words is far more useful than speaking. You can be clearer and the situation will, you know, explain itself if you're doing it right. Mm. Yeah. I must admit, doing away with words sometimes terrifies me. I, I, I'm a, I talk on radio and I write. That, yes. uh, so taking, those, taking words away from me, I would struggle. But uh, mm-hmm. um, that said, I've watched plenty of dance performances and, and physical theatre performances in which are wordless and still incredibly expressive. Mm. What's the greatest challenge you've found in, in making this show in terms of trying to express some of these complicated ideas, uh, the, the, te- the pull and the tension between adult and child for example how, do, how have you embodied those um at first it did seem like a daunting task especially the fact that we had such a limited stage and we're doing a, a movement um show but after performing it i think the fact that it is such a small and intimate space has really enhanced it and really intensified it and um made us work harder to communicate that message in its subtleties and in the intricacies of it all mm-hmm. and i don't know it's been it's been really fulfilling for me i'm coming from a dance background where there's so much kind of i don't know superficial um focus on you know these these shapes and these grand large movements because you've you've uh, trained in ballet you're from yeah, you know, the Australian I, ballet school weren't you? yeah i trained in the australian ballet school i which is such a, a formalized mm-hmm. dance language. yeah yeah and this is kind of couldn't be further removed from it which is which was the beauty of being able to collaborate with steph 
um, on this on this piece and really explore movement in a vastly different way. And not just that, but communicate the like the movement theatre, the dance theatre. And my emphasis really is in, on the theatre aspect of it all, because you can communicate physically, you can Im- communicate within your within your expression and your intention and that and that connection with your partner on such an intimate and and subtle way that that's what's been so fulfilling for me it's been wonderful yeah and i guess i guess for me on, on the other spectrum is working with a dancer you know the fear of, of at first is always okay can you express you know in a, in a theatrical way you know um with truth but Kyle, because he's got so much skill with his body, we were able to just not even worry about that and really focus on what our relationships were and what was happening on stage. And um, although, yeah, you know, I guess initial fears, um, they didn't prove to be too much of a challenge at all. And we were able to find a, this kind of language between both of our um, mediums as such. Um, to and how, long did it take to how long did it take to find that shared language, that shared physical kind of language uh, that draws yeah. upon both your practices? It's quite a gradual process. Yeah. yeah, we. I mean, we kind of, we were experimenting with ideas and, and bouncing off each other for a, a couple of months leading up to it. And then Steph went away for about five weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll let you explain. Oh, Go, I went was, to Japan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there we sort of, yeah, did it in fragments working on it. I was doing some training in Japan and sort of trying to pick up what I could from there and then bringing it back. So it's been... Quite a few months, actually. Yeah, yeah but just that, that little time off for us to digest when Steph was away, she came back and all of a sudden it was like, we know, we both know what this is, where it's going and are bringing out the best in each of our disciplines and it really became that um, merging of the two mm. where we kind of picked each other up on the parts that we might have been a little bit insecure about or felt like, oh, I know, I've got, to, I've got to match what you have. I've got to match what you're bringing to it. Yeah. Um, that's, that's kind of when it happened. Yeah. 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 If you've just tuned in, we're talking about a production called Tangled Adulthood that's on at the Butterfly Club as part of the Melbourne Fringe Festival. Uh, it's running through until Sunday at 10pm each night. Now, uh, we've spoken a little bit, uh, Kyle and Stephanie, about your own practices and about finding shared collaborative language. Let's uh, talk about what Josh Mitchell, your musician, is bringing to the project. He also has a physical theatre background. He does. Yeah, so I I met him because we work together as actors on um, another project that um, we've been doing for the last year. And he's always said that he did composition and music. And um, I'm really interested in working with people from different disciplines who also have an appreciation for, you know, who are open to really understanding what something else is. And Josh is a great artist because, yeah, he's got experience in dance, theatre and music. So he was a perfect fit. I asked him to be part of the project and um, he has been wonderful because he's really just... uh, listened to what our ideas were, watched what we were coming up with and just keeps off uh, in the process was just offering sound ideas and that then in turn fed what we were doing and how we created the piece. So it became something that was happening simultaneously, the music uh, composition and um, the creation of the theatrical side of it. Yeah. 
Sounds like you've been having a fun process creating the work. I think we've really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah surprisingly <laughs> so. It was da- it was so daunting at first, so daunting. I was like, what am I getting myself into? Um, yeah. Going completely removed from what I'm used to doing. And mm. But for me, that's one of the, the things that Melbourne Fringe is so important for and so good for. Yes, you can see uh, a brand new show by an artist doing their, their old familiar art form, yeah. but it's an opportunity to take creative risks for artists yeah. as much as it is a... a an opportunity of risk-taking for audiences going to see people they've never seen, art forms they've never seen before, or even just opening a, the, the program at random and pointing to a show and going, let's go and see that, whatever <laughs> that is. Yeah. So, yeah, no, the, and taking those risks can is really the only way you can grow your practice in many ways. Yeah, yeah it's and, true. Uh, like, evolve, like, art and, and create new things and, and challenge these categories that so many things fall into. I think that's what's beautiful about this process. It's just so many things in one. If you want to go and see a show that is so many things in one, Tangled (laughs) Adulthood at the Butterfly Club uh, on uh, at 10pm each night through until Sunday, October the 2nd as part of the Melbourne Fringe Festival. Uh, More info at www.melbournefringe.com.au or you could just go to the Butterfly Club website and uh, book some tickets there as well. Kyle and Stephanie, just before I let you go, any other fringe shows you've seen? What a plug uh, that you think uh, people should go and get along to? Um, well, we've been sitting backstage um, before we go on listening to Vanishing Act at the Butterfly Club, uh, and it's it's going really well. So I think we'd highly recommend if you want to do a double bill, go see Vanishing Act, and then you can come see us after. Um, but they're doing great, the girls. Cool. Yeah. So watch more information about that show as well, uh, the, the Vanishing Act at uh, just thebutterflyclub.com for more info. If you've not been to the Butterfly Club before, A, shame on you. It's such a Melbourne institution, <laughs> wonderful venue. Uh, great cocktails, great kitsch and great performances. Tangled Adulthood is the show we've been discussing. Uh, Stephanie and Kyle, thanks heaps for coming into Triple R. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. This has been a podcast from 3 Triple R 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.